four of our elders share with us this message, this truth talk. Each one of them has 30 minutes. Not really. <laughs> Each one of them was given seven minutes to share uh, their message on the wonders of God. And I'm looking forward to hearing them share the truths from God's Word in their own personal experience, how that has benefited their life. And we continue this series this morning, Our Great Hope, Finding Peace in the Wonders, the Wonders of God. Can you remember the first time that, if you had a first time, that you experienced the wonder of God? Very first time. Well, this morning I want to share with you the first time that happened for me. And I want to start with a verse this morning, and it's in 1 John 4, 16. And we could call this particular wonder of God the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4, and verse 16, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Now, perhaps you've heard it said, God loves you. I hope that someone has indicated that to you at some point in your journey in life, that God loves you. What does being loved by God mean to you? Does being loved by God create a sense of wonder in you? Does it create a sense of awe in you? The knowledge that you are loved by God. You know, what I've discovered about love is that our appreciation for someone's love for us is determined by what? Our appreciation for someone's love for us is determined by the sacrifice they may make to meet our felt needs. In fact, we're appalled if we see someone receiving a gift that someone has sacrificed to give them, and they're not appreciative. Because that's the way we measure. We measure love by the sacrifice that someone makes to meet our felt needs. For example, if I gave you uh, $10 and I'm a millionaire, uh, if you gave me $10 and I'm a millionaire, I wouldn't appreciate it very much. Because you weren't really meeting one of my felt needs by giving me $10 if I'm a millionaire. Now, I wouldn't appreciate it, but I wouldn't appreciate it very much. On the other hand, if you gave me $10 and I was broke and I was starving, I would, or at least I should be, forever grateful to you. For with that $10 that you gave me, you met a felt need. You saved me from starving. And I would appreciate it even more if I knew that that $10 that you gave me, that sustained me, was all that you had. And you sacrificed it all for me. You met my felt need by an extreme sacrifice that you made. And I would see that as really loving. And I would really appreciate that. Our appreciation for God's love for us is determined by our understanding of the sacrifice that he made to meet our felt needs. Our appreciation for his love is determined by that. Our understanding of the sacrifice that he made to meet our felt needs. 
So today, December 22nd, 2019, I was born in 1954. I'm 65 years old. 48 years ago, on my 17th birthday, uh, birthday, my felt need was I felt alone. That was my felt need. I felt alone 48 years ago on my 17th birthday. Now, I want you to understand that feeling alone is not the same thing as being alone. Feeling alone does not mean just being alone. Feeling alone occurs when we're suffering from painful emotions and we feel alone with those feelings. In other words, we're suffering, but we don't have anybody to talk to. We don't feel like we have anybody that cares that we can confide in and, and really share life with. That's what it means to feel alone. And when you feel alone... It's a very dark place. For anyone who feels alone, it's a very dark place. You know, and this season of the year, there's a lot of folks that feel alone. They're having pain emotionally, and they don't feel like they have anybody that they can talk to about what they're going through, what they're, what they're feeling. It's a very dark place. You know, after the creation of the first man, God said it's not good for man to be alone, and he solved the problem when he saw it was not good. When God says something is not good, I want you to understand what that means. It means it's not good. I mean, it's not good when God says it's not good. If it was not good for man to be alone in a perfect world, it's worse in a fallen world in which we suffer from all of these painful emotions. I want you to think about the painful feelings that you've experienced just in the last year. What were they? Things that you would consider things, you know, I really don't like to feel that way. What would they be? Well, perhaps you've experienced grief this year. And grief is a painful emotion very painful emotion that comes from the loss of someone or something that's very important to us. And that's a painful emotion. And it's not good for man to be alone with that painful emotion. To be feeling that pain and not have anyone that you feel like you can talk to about that pain is a very dark place to be in. Perhaps this year you felt sorrow. Sorrow can come from grief, but Sorrow can come for other reasons. And perhaps you've experienced that painful emotion this year. I would say that most all of us have for one reason or another. Perhaps you've felt sorrow over disappointment in someone. Or disappointment in the circumstances of your life. And then another painful emotion is depression. Depression. Depression is a feeling of hopelessness that can be created by all kinds of different events and circumstances that we suffer in our lives. And some folks uh, experience severe depression that lasts for long periods of time. And perhaps you've experienced that this year. Perhaps you've experienced anxiety. Anxiety is a form of fear 
But anxiety comes about worrying about the future and what's going to happen in the future. And, and that's a very painful emotion, anxiety. It can really affect us physically. Or maybe you've experienced just fear. Fear is closely tied to anxiety, but we can experience fear over something happening suddenly that our life is threatened. And we feel fear because of that reason. Or perhaps you felt fear because you've been given a responsibility that you weren't confident that you could carry out. And you were afraid. And then there's insecurity. Feelings of insecurity. Feeling like you're not loved. That's a terrible feeling to have. And then there's feelings of insignificance. Like you, your life doesn't amount to much. Like you're not really making a difference in anyone else's life. And your life is not very valuable. Or perhaps you have felt just disappointment. Disappointment, you had expectations for certain things to happen one way, and they happened another way. And you experienced disappointment. Or frustration. Frustration is a painful emotion. I don't like to feel frustrated, do you? It's closely tied to anger. And so you've had some expectation. It didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen, and you felt frustrated, or maybe you even felt anger. And then what about jealousy? Jealousy, that's a very painful emotion. Well, look, in a perfect world, we won't experience those painful emotions. It's one of the reasons why we should look forward to heaven when we don't have to go through all of those things, and there's others I could have identified. The world is full of pain as a result of we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. Well, let me tell you something. If it wasn't good for man to be alone in a perfect world, it's even more important for us not to be alone in an imperfect world where we're constantly dealing with this wide range of emotions that are always coming our way. I didn't even mention guilt. I didn't even mention feelings of shame. Those are both painful emotions as well. And so God, from the very beginning, didn't intend for us to live in that kind of world. But even before we lived in it, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We all suffer from these things. And these things affect us as human beings different ways. I mean, for some people, the pain is so great, they feel like that they've got to find a solution to it that's unhealthy. And so for some people, they develop addictions. Addictions to substances, to medicate their emotions. For some people, they choose sexual things. Temporary relief that comes from sexual satisfaction in order to medicate themselves and, and make them feel better temporarily in their life. Other people choose things like eating, overeating, in order to medicate themselves. Certainly, eating makes me feel better. It just does. And uh, somebody got us some cinnamon rolls over there. I'd sworn off of those until today. <laughs> but yeah, eating. And we can medicate ourselves with activities. Uh, different activities that we can medicate ourselves with. I remember one time Scott Sanders said, to me, he was going to go on a fast from music. Do you remember that, Scott? 
And why did he do that? Because something's wrong with music? No, because he was looking at his own soul and he was thinking that he was leaning on music more than he was depending on God in his life. And so we can medicate ourselves with bad things. We can medicate ourselves with good things, things that God created for us to use to worship him. And so how you, how you deal with your pain emotionally, it's different for different folks. But I do know this. We have an epidemic of addiction in our society now. Both the substance abuse, sexual addictions, I mean, it's an epidemic where people are medicating themselves like no other time in our history of our nation in order to escape all these painful emotions. But the biggest part of it is this. Listen to me. It's not that I'm unusual or you're unusual if we have one of these painful emotions. We all have them. The problem is when you feel alone with them. That's where it gets dangerous. Do you get that? Do you understand that? You're not unique if you have painful emotions. We all have them. But what leads to problems in our soul, in our life, is when you feel alone with your painful emotions. That is a dark place to be in. And you can make some real bad decisions when you're in that dark place. In fact, one of the greatest causes of acts of violence and suicide is occurring because people feel alone in their emotions and they become bitter. And then they act out either against themselves or against other people. It happens every day in our country. Feeling alone with our feelings is a felt need that all of us have. And there's no one here this morning who hasn't felt that at times. Where you felt all alone with your feelings, even when you weren't. Even when you had people you could go and share with, you still felt that way at a certain level. Well, 48 years ago on my 17th birthday, my felt need was I felt absolutely alone with my feelings. Now, a number of things had contributed to that that didn't happen overnight. But I felt, and I was in a dark place 48 years ago today on my 17th birthday. One of the reasons I felt that way was because of where we were at that time in my family. I lived with my father. My father was an alcoholic. It was just him and I. It had just been him and I for a number of years. And if you've been in the home of an alcoholic, alcoholics are not healthy in their relationships. They're very destructive in their relationships with others. And uh, they're not all the same, but they're all, in some way or another, very offensive uh, to those that are close to them. Alcoholics are. And so my father was an alcoholic, and birthdays and Christmases at my house did not amount to much for me and my father. In other words, uh, when I had a birthday, there wasn't any birthday party with my friends that was organized by a parent, the way I see happening with my grandchildren, which I'm so grateful they experience. There wasn't any great birthday party being organized with other family members. Uh, 
at, on my birthday, uh, there was no family meal and gatherings at our house for birthdays or Christmas like we experience now. There was no cousins to share birthday and Christmas with for me on my 17th birthday. My older brother Jim was at that time in his life going through some very difficult things and he was not a part of our lives at that time of our lives. My older sister Sandy was married and lived in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And so what she would do at Christmas is that she would invite me to join her husband's family, the Newton family. And they were a wonderful family, the Newton family, and she would invite me to join them on Christmas Day. They weren't my blood relatives. They were extended family through my brother-in-law. And I would go over there on Christmas Day and, and I would have lunch. And that was Christmas for me on my 17th birthday. New Year's Eve that year was worse than my birthday. And it was worse than Christmas. Uh, the year before, I had a girlfriend. And so New Year's Eve, I wasn't alone. But I didn't have a girlfriend on New Year's Eve in 1971. I was not dating anyone. No friends invited me over to their house on New Year's Eve. I did not have family members that invited me to be with them at their house on New Year's Eve. My dad was going to leave, and he would come back several days later. And, and so it was just going to be me on New Year's Eve in 1971. And so here I was. I was in a dark place, and I felt alone with my feelings. And I'm sharing this with you today because I believe that you can either relate to it from the past or right now I'm speaking to where you're at. You feel alone with your feelings. Dark place. And that's the dark place I was in. In fact, you can always tell sort of where people are at by the music they listen to. And my favorite song 48 years ago today was a song by Three Dog Night. And it was called One is the loneliest number. I think we have a clip of that, don't we? We're going to try to bring it up. Yay or nay? Are you going to play it? Okay. I can sing it for you. This was my favorite song. that's enough of that well it goes on to say no is the saddest experience you'll ever know yes it's the saddest experience you'll ever know because one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do one is the loneliest number it's worse than two it's just no good anymore since you went away and that part of the lyric I thought about my mother that's who I thought about on that part of the lyric it's just no good anymore since you went away. She went away when I was three years old is when she died. Now I spend my time just making rhymes of yesterday. One is the loneliest number. One is the loneliest number. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Says it over and over again. And I probably played that song half a dozen times a week at least. 
for whatever reason, I felt like those guys understood me. So I couldn't talk to anybody else that understood me, but I could listen to that music and think, well, somebody there understands how I feel. One is the loneliest number. You know, there's times in our life when God must allow us to experience the worst in life so that we can discover his best for our life. I want to say that to you one more time. There are times in our life when God must allow us to experience the worst in life so that we can discover his best for our life. On New Year's Eve that year, I didn't have anywhere to go, so I decided to attend a communion service where they served the Lord's Supper. The service started on New Year's Eve at 11 p.m. Now, this church that I had been attending, First Southern Dell City, uh, I had been attending that church pretty regularly since the previous summer. I was seeking. And so I was going to church because I was seeking. And they were the ones that were having this communion service. Well, I had never experienced anything like that before. And so when I arrived, I discovered there was something about the service that was very different. I was given some written instructions when I entered the building, right, right in our foyers, given some written instructions, and right at the top of those instructions, uh, the instructions said, you're not supposed to talk while you're in the building. Now, wait a minute, here I am feeling alone. I'm getting ready to have a worship service with about a thousand people, and the first instruction is don't talk while you're in the building. Don't say anything to anybody other than God. The instructions were designed to prepare you for the communion. Well, I wasn't prepared for the communion. I wasn't even a Christian at that time. The instructions began by saying you should only talk to God during the time you were there, and so they called it a silent communion service. A silent communion service. No preaching, no preaching at all. No one talked from the pulpit. No singing verbally. No announcements. No one said a word the entire time a thousand people were in the building. Get that. Silent service. The only sound that was made during the course of the time we were there was some occasional instrumental music. Even your prayers were to be prayed silently, just between you and the Lord. And so for someone like me that was feeling alone with their feelings, that order of service didn't really, you know, make me feel really positive at that moment in time. That wasn't what I was looking for. It wasn't very appealing. So here I was, surrounded by a thousand people, and I could not talk to anyone. You know, you can be in a room with hundreds of people and feel absolutely alone with your feelings. So I took my seat, and then I read more instructions, and I made a conscious decision, and I'm glad that I did, instead of just sitting there, to follow those instructions. And the, the instructions that prepared you for this communion, what they did is it, it gave you some guidance about what to talk about to God. And I needed some suggestions because I wasn't an expert at talking to God. And so I needed some guidance. And those instructions told us what you should talk to God about until we had the communion. 
And then there was always a promise from Scripture with each piece of guidance that we were given that related to God, something that God promised. For example, if you confessed your sins as part of your talk to God, the promise was that he would forgive your sins, according to 1 John 1, 9. And it went on from there. Well, I came to a particular instruction And something happened to me that I did not expect to happen. The instruction was, talk to God and thank Him for always being with me. Woo. And then there was this promise in a verse. The verse was Hebrews 13.5. And here's what Hebrews 13.5 says. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it was like the last part of that verse rung a chord in me. Because here I was. What was I feeling? Alone. And here was this promise in scripture that I don't recall ever hearing or seeing before. And it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, I had talked to God before. I don't remember all the talks I'd had with God in the first 17 years of my life. I remember going out to the cemetery, out St. Lane Cemetery, and standing over the grave of my mother and shaking my fist of God and telling God what I thought about him. And I'm sure there were other occasions, you know, like when I was playing sports where I would, you know, pray for God to help me win or something like that. But I don't recall a time when I had talked to God before that he ever spoke personally to me. But when I read, I will never leave you nor forsake you, it was like God spoke audibly audibly to me. Now, it wasn't audible, but it was like it was audible to me. That's how much of an impact that passage, that little verse had on me. It impacted my soul unlike anything I had ever experienced in my life up to that point. God spoke to me from that verse, meeting my felt need. That specific promise from God addressed my felt need, and right at that moment, it was like the love of God became real to me. I'd heard God loves you, many times from preachers but at that moment because this God spoke to me and it met my personal need man it was life-changing for me God became real to me in a way that I'd never experienced before I realized in that moment that Jesus by being incarnated because Christmas was had just passed, I realized in that moment that Jesus, by being incarnated, becoming a human being, had sacrificed himself for my sin so that him and I could have a personal relationship that would be unlike any other relationship I had known or would ever know in my life. Because no one else could say I will never leave you or forsake you and keep the promise. Only God could. 
I mean, even in marriage, what do we promise each other? Till death separates us. And let me tell you something, death will separate you. If someone says to you, hey, I'll never leave you or forsake you, they're lying. Either you'll leave them or they'll leave you. Only God can make this promise and keep it. And so suddenly I understand, I understood that the sacrifice that Jesus made to become one of us and die for our sin was so that he could say that to me. And it overwhelmed me. It impacted my soul. I began to weep as I considered the promise and what Jesus did so that he could make this promise to me and we could have this kind of personal relationship. To think that Jesus would sacrifice himself for my sin so that we could have that kind of relationship just left me in awe. And that was the first time I recall experiencing the awe of God because of the love of God. You know what I did? Well, there were some other instructions there, and it shared about how to devote your life to Jesus. And so I made a decision to devote my life that night to Jesus Christ. I became a follower of Jesus, and a few weeks later, I followed him in baptism. Well, 48 years later, on my 65th birthday, I am still in absolute awe about the love of God and this promise that he made to me. 48 years ago, I believed that promise. Now, 48 years later, on my 65th birthday, I can declare he's kept the promise. He has not left me. He has not forsaken me. He has kept the promise during the best times of my life, the high times of my life, and he's kept the promise during the worst times of my life. He's kept the promise when I'm going through lean times, and he's kept the promise when I've been prospering. He's kept the promise during those times when I've been very ill physically or emotionally, and he's kept this promise during the happiest times of my life. He has kept the promise during those times when I have decided to disobey him, reject his authority. And then he's kept the promise when I've obeyed him. And the pain of obeying him was overwhelming at times. There's not been one moment in time for the last 48 years that he has left me or forsaken me. When I've been a fool and wandered, he has followed me and drawn me back to himself. When I've been rude to him and lashed out at him in my grief, he has grieved with me and sent me comforting words and signs of his presence. When I've neglected him in our relationship, he's continually reached out to me, affirming his love for me, calling me back to himself. When I've been disappointed in myself or others, he has affirmed who I am to him and in him, and he has lifted me up over and over and over again. Because he is the only one who can promise that he will never leave me or forsake me, he became my all in all. He is where I find my security. When I need to be loved, I find being loved in him. He is where I find my significance. When I feel like a failure, I don't feel valuable, I find my significance in him. To think that Jesus would sacrifice what he sacrificed so he could make this promise to all of us is astounding. It's incredible. 
to think that he would consider us to be more important than himself. And he's God. But he humbled himself, which means he considered us to be more important than himself. To think that he would leave what he left, the glory and majesty that he left to become one of us is incredible. To think that as God, he would be born of a woman. To think that he would be born into a family of peasants. Now, if I was God and I was choosing what family I was going to be born into, I would not choose a family of peasants. To think that he would be born in a place that's just off the beaten path like Bethlehem. I mean, he didn't even choose Jerusalem to be born in. He chose Bethlehem to be born in, of all places. To think that he would be subject to human beings. And he was God. To think that he would be subject to his parents, who apparently were very upright people, but also that he, as a righteous and holy God, would choose to be subject to evil and wicked rulers. To think that he would be raised in a place like Nazareth. Nazareth was the hood of Israel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? To think that he would be raised and choose to be raised in a place like Nazareth. He could have chosen to be raised anywhere he wanted to. He's God. To think that he would live among sinful people and he was perfect. To think that he would experience hunger and thirst and fatigue and temptation. To think that he would choose one man as his disciple that he, would, that he knew was going to betray him. To think that he would choose 12 ordinary men rather than choosing 12 sophisticated, intelligent, educated is incredible. To think that he would be rejected by his own people. To think that he would be falsely accused and convicted of something that he never did. To think that he would allow himself to be scourged by evil men. To think that he would carry his own cross. To think that he would be executed on a cross by having nails thr driven through his hands and his feet. To think that he would allow a crown of thorns to be packed down on his head. To think that he would bear in his soul the guilt of the sins of the whole world. To think that he would feel forsaken by his heavenly father so that you and I don't have to feel that way. So I devoted my life to him. I appreciated his love and what he did so that he could fulfill that promise to me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know what? I can ponder this, and it's almost too much to ponder. I can find myself lost in the love of God when I ponder these truths. You know, in the story of George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life, God sent people to show George that he was not alone. In fact, these people in It's a Wonderful Life, in that movie, even paid his debt. I think we have a clip of that. Can we play it?
were just Harry. as quick as I could. The fool flew all the way up here in a blizzard. Oh, Harry, how about your banquet in New York? Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Well, in the story of George Bailey, in It's a Wonderful Life, God sent people to show him he was not alone. Well, this morning, God wants you to know that he has done something even better than sending people to meet your need. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus paid your debt. And if you will receive Jesus, he promises you he will never leave you. And he will never forsake you for all of eternity. You know, I don't know if you came in this morning with this felt need, the feeling of being alone, but I believe that God leads me, and I believe that he leads me to share things because there is at least one person here this morning that entered this auditorium feeling alone like I felt 48 years ago. God brought you here this morning to hear me speak for him and tell you this promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he wants you to do what I did 48 years ago. He wants you to believe the promise. He wants you to believe that God loves you and that Jesus sacrificed himself so that he could give you this promise. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And he wants you this morning to do what I did. He wants you to devote your life to him. Devote your life to him. He's calling you to be his follower, follower of Jesus. And he's calling you through me this morning. And he says, come. The only question for you to answer is, will you receive the promise based on faith that Jesus Christ died for your sin and that the reason that he came, yes, to die for the sins of the world, but you know what? He knew that included you. And he's come for you. So will you believe the promise? Will you devote your life to Jesus, will you be a follower of Jesus? Will you follow him in baptism? I want to lead you in a prayer right now, if you would just close your eyes with me. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to him right now as he's speaking to you. And if you're ready to respond, here's what you need to do. You need to do a couple of things. One is, you need to tell him just like I did. You need to say to him, Jesus, I believe that you sacrificed yourself to die for my sins. I believe you are God. And I'm going to be your follower for the rest of my life. To the best of my ability and the strength you provide, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Would you just tell him that right now? It's real easy to say, if you want to just say it this way, Jesus Jesus, save me. Those three words can sum it up pretty good. Jesus, save me.
Would you do that right now? Now, if you just did that, or you've done it the last week, last month, last year, you need to follow them in baptism. Baptism is the way. It's not an option. It is the way that he chose for people to profess publicly their faith that they are his followers. And the way that you can follow the Lord in baptism here is there's a card there, a connect card. Just put on that connect card your name and number and that you want to follow the Lord in baptism and we will communicate with you about that and give you an opportunity to follow the Lord in baptism. Would you do that? That's what you need to do. Now, Father, I just pray for every person here this morning that just received you, Lord, that they'll take that next step and follow you in baptism to declare their faith in you. Now, look up at me just a moment. Church, we've got these incredible promises. Sometimes we forget them. That's why you should come to church and hear the word preached. That's why you should go to group and hear the truth that's being presented there. That's why you should read your Bible in the mornings. We have short memories. Mine's getting shorter. And we need those promptings to remember these incredible truths that stir our soul. But church, with such wonderful promises, how can we not devote ourselves to go and make disciples? By sharing the good news with other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't focus on people's sins, by the way. All their sins indicate is they need forgiveness from God. Focus upon their need for forgiveness from God and what God did in order to save them from their sins. That's what saved you if you're saved, and that's what will save them. So I'm going to ask you, church, will you devote your life to him and accept his mission for you to go and make disciples? I mean, yeah, that's a real conscious decision. I didn't know that that was my mission until about an hour after I got saved. I heard it in a youth service an hour later, and that's where I surrendered myself not only because I'd already devoted my life to him, and then I found out I'm supposed to go and tell other people about him. And so that's what I've been doing now for 48 years is telling other people about Jesus because I embrace that mission. Will you embrace it, church? You know what our job is here at the church? It's just to train you how to do it. And we're good at it. We know how to do it. If we have willing people who are willing to be trained, we can teach you how to make disciples of Jesus Christ if you're willing to learn. And so that's what we can offer you. And I want to encourage you, devote yourself to the mission. And then learn how to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to finish the service this morning with a song. And uh, this song was actually played at the youth service an hour after I received Jesus. And it was the song that was being played when I devoted myself to serve full time in the ministry. Which is about an hour and a half after I got saved, I guess. And so let's stand together. Scott's going to lead us in this song.